Hello, and welcome back to Dirt Talk. This is Alex Horton. This week, our guest is Wally Adamchik, a leadership consultant in the dirt world. His company, Firestarter Speaking and Consulting, works with construction companies, works with leaders as management training, management consulting. Aaron and I were very, very lucky to get to speak to Wally. He's definitely an expert and has been around the block and has, has seen a lot. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Wally Adamchik. I guess before I forget, very much appreciate you coming here. Yeah, this is awesome. Because I much prefer doing this in person rather than see like with, with Alex, it's it's a lot of fun doing it in person. I, I sincerely look forward to recording the episodes. Over the phone is just a lot more difficult because you've just, uh, it's just more disconnected. Still get good episodes, but. Yeah, you know, there's a couple things philosophically there for me. First of all, getting to know you guys. Yeah. Like, there's a long-term business opportunity here. So sure, certainly invest in it. Heck, I've flown to San Francisco for a 90-minute meeting. I mean, if Been it, there. you know, you talk about doing the right things, and to me, it's doing the right thing. So it was, and there's a direct flight from Raleigh. So well, yeah, that too. You know, <laughs> Although, okay. Doing, flying somewhere for a meeting and then flying home, that's a long day. Because every time I do that, I'm like, oof, you get home and you are wiped. Yeah, but... I would, the times I've done it, high payoff. Uh, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, 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 correct. You know, I'm correct. not flying out to do a podcast with somebody I'm never going to see again. No. Right, so, mm-hmm. you know, this is an investment. I appreciate well, it. Well, let's hope this doesn't go in that direction. We'll probably talk again. We'll Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know I'm not worried about us talking to him. I'm worried about him talking to us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the lunch <laughs> was okay, so we're off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, after us waiting 30 minutes and... Now that now that you've seen behind the curtain, it's a it's a low budget operation here. I, you know, I I I like I said, I'm low maintenance. Yeah, I was in the Marines, so I did low maintenance for a long time. You we're in the Marines, <laughs> so I want to talk about that. So we can get into it. <clears throat> I guess you brought it up, Marines. How did you get into the Marines? Because you weren't just a grunt, as they call them. You ended up in a unusual place in the Marines. Well, I wouldn't call it unusual, but um, my dad was in the Navy in World War II. Yeah. Joined when he was 16, 17. And I guess I grew up a patriot, uh, Navy ROTC. And the only way I was going to afford going to the University of Notre Dame was if the Marines were going to pay for it. So, you know, the reputation, the, the you know, bravado, the, the ethos, all that stuff, I, I bought into it. And I had an ROTC scholarship and was commissioned out of Notre Dame. And then we did four years on the ground side as a tank officer and then five years on the air side as a Cobra helicopter pilot. And that's what I meant by unusual because <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's cool. It, it's, pre- it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's when you surround yourself with really cool people, it's less cool. Right. So, you know, you, what you're creating here is a bunch of people who are really passionate and committed, committed. When you hang around with the echelon front guys, there's a bunch of guys who are really passionate and committed. Yeah. That becomes normal. That's true. You know, so yeah. when I hang out with my buddies who, you know, from 30 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, that's just normal. That's the people I know. And you can't really brag you're an attack helicopter pilot to other attack helicopter pilots. That's, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they just like, yeah, got it. It's, it's yeah. like, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. okay, dude. I think that could change your call sign if you yeah. did that. Yeah, <clears throat> Cool, man. Um, did you travel much when you were in the Marines? Raised my hand, went everywhere I could possibly go. Really? Um, anytime there was a deployment or something going, I was raising my hand. 
So like, where'd you go around? It was around uh, the world. Yeah. I had a couple unit deployments to Japan, went to Korea from there. Uh, then a couple of unit deployments to the Mediterranean, Persian Gulf. Yeah. Somalia is where I got shot at. And, um, yeah, just raised my hand to go everywhere. I, 1994, the 50th anniversary of D-Day was on the coast participating in that. Probably one of the all-time epic experiences of my life being on Normandy Beach 50, hour, 50, 50 years later. Really? Yeah. Wow. What was that? Was it like a... It was a you know, big ceremony. Of yeah, that kind yeah of thing. all that stuff. And really? Yeah, it was, and I was a history major, so it was, I was just eating it up. How many people were there? Oh, there were thousands, thousands. Oh. But what was really cool was that, um, so the USS George Washington was off the coast and um, President Clinton and whoever dignitaries were there, but the F-18s couldn't do a flyby because the, the clouds were too low. So we did a helicopter flyby. Oh, yeah. Because wow. the, the ceiling was only like 500 feet and we kind of skirted right under that. It was pretty cool. That is pretty neat. I was thinking about it you know, when I was, I was watching Save a Private Ryan the other night. <sighs> And like you, you talk about it and you're like, man, that's really messed up. But just the way they did that movie and you kind of put yourself in that position or we were talking about the other day with the echelon front guys, like that was pretty, pretty brutal. It was. And when you walk the terrain and you see that the, the cliffs they had to go up and, and they were channelized, they, there were only two places to get off of that beach, off yeah. of Omaha beach. And the Germans knew that and we knew it. And that's why that first wave took 90% casualties. And, but you don't know it until you see the terrain. It's like going to Gettysburg and being on a little round top. It's just, yeah. you walk the terrain and it, I don't know if it's transcendent or something like that, but you, you feel it, mm-hmm. yeah. get it a little bit differently. So you're in the Marines. How old were you when you got out of the Marines? 32. And you were an officer. Yep. Cause you went to college beforehand. Yep. Where is Notre Dame? A small Catholic school in Indiana. It's in Indiana. South yeah. Bend. It's like an hour from Chicago. It's in yep. South Bend. Okay. That's why you keep me here. I And for those of you that haven't recognized this yet, Alex is here <laughs> joining as... As Alex does. As, as Alex I do. does. As, as co-host, we're, we're actually modeling something new here that will probably be the future format yeah. of Dirt Talk once we get into the office. In 2028. Unless I get fired after this episode. So we'll see. I'll get all my jokes in (laughs) just this episode. Well, you you have the editing control. That's true. I have have no say. Um, Somehow you're going to look really good after this and we're not. I'm going to cut out that whole part so everyone just knows that I'm comfortable here the whole time. As always. Um, Okay. So you're you're in your 30s. You grew up around construction. I did. My brother, uh, my dad got out of the Navy and he he was a steel guy. He helped build the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, you know, connects to... Staten Island to Brooklyn and God, I still drive over that thing. And like everybody listening, it's, wow, I built that. My dad built that. Yeah. My brother, you know, got into the trades when he was young. I was a helper on jobs when I was 13, 14, 15. And, you know, my brother stayed in the trade and um, they were Teamsters flooring guys in, in New York City. And, you know, it's kind of the American dream. My dad wanted me to go to college and I did. And I managed to stay sober enough, long enough to graduate and be fortunate enough and to be commissioned in the Marine Corps. That's a feat in itself. It, it was very, I was the mascot at the University of Notre Dame in my senior year. 
Were you really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And let's just say my junior year, I had a 3.8 GPA and my senior year, I had a 2.1 GPA and it was really tenuous if I was going to make it out. What's the mask? What's the mascot? It's a leprechaun. No shit. Yeah. I, I have the height requirement for that. You know, no. under, under five, seven. <laughs> you could shit. do. I could yeah. too. Yeah. I was yeah, going to say. Yeah. Yeah, five, You're built six. for it. Hell yeah. Damn. I should have went to Notre Dame because Sparky, we had Sparky and Sparky's like jacked. Yeah. You got to be the, be the yeah. six foot, whatever jacked guy. I'm like... I'm never yeah, gonna be sparky. No, yeah. Damn it. But wow, that's a fun fact. It's a it was an incredibly fun year, too. Sure. I'll just leave it at that. Uh I went to Arizona State, made a little bit of that from you time some to fun, time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's you know, very academically rigorous at Arizona State, of course, but yeah, there was some shenanigans. So post Marine Corps. You get out of the Marine Corps, you were, you know, kind of a big deal. And then what? Um, got hooked up with a corporate recruiter, had a number of great opportunities. They take junior military officers out into the, you know, into the world, uh, had some really incredible opportunities. And I took one with Arby's restaurants. Wow. I was a regional manager running a couple of restaurants in North Carolina, ended up having a bunch of restaurants in North Carolina. It's a simple answer. I took it cause it was a leadership job. Each one of those restaurants is like a little platoon. Yeah. You know, there's a general manager who was running it. I didn't know anything about business. I was a history major who'd been in the Marine Corps. So, you know, I was in government, so they know nothing about profitability either. So it was, it was an on the job, you know, MBA really quickly. And it was, it was a great experience because I had profit and loss experience. I had labor that I had to deal with all those things and uh, had a great time. You know, it was, it was a pass through place for me for sure, but uh, it was a really good um, welcome to the real world. And it's a, a good good place to learn how to manage and lead entry-level individuals, which there's a lot of parallels to that and the construction industry. There's a lot of entry-level individuals in the workforce and figuring out how to manage them is a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, it's when I look back on my career, my life, whatever, it's kind of a zigzag as you're doing it, but it makes total sense along the way. And understanding and having a PL <clears throat> big, understanding this labor force that you know, restaurant, construction, hospitality, whatever is, is, you know, we're all pulling from, from the same place. So yeah. understanding that person and having been there for, I guess it was about four years or so, I got a little bit of empathy for the folks that uh, I'm consulting with these days on the, on the people in the leadership side. Yeah, absolutely. Were you in a leadership role, leadership roles while you're in the military? Yeah, tough not to being a being an officer. My, you know, as a second lieutenant, I was a tank platoon commander, so I had my five vehicles and my twenty marines, and you know, dealing death and destruction theoretically. You yeah, it's really just driving around doing nothing. Yeah, uh, I was a company executive officer, so once again in a leadership role. Was battalion adjutant, so I was the admin guy reporting directly to the colonel for a unit of eleven hundred marines. So again, get to see leadership at a different level, not necessarily the tactical level, but more at the operational level. When I went over to the aviation side, uh, I was fortunate enough again to work in maintenance. So, you know, you're a pilot, but you have a collateral duty. So you could work in admin, operations, logistics, whatever. And one of my tours was in operate, it was in maintenance. So I was at the assistant maintenance officer for a helicopter squadron. And on, and just like I did in the, in the tank squadron, or in the tank company as the executive officer, I was the maintenance officer. So here we have these you know, 25 tracked vehicles. Hey, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Understanding preventative maintenance, corrective maintenance, all of those things. And 
Mm. So when we talk to, you know, our audiences and our, our clients these days, and, you know, it's in this dirt world, it's, you know, preventative maintenance, checks and services. Are we doing these things on a regular basis? It's like, yeah, I, I kind of learned a little bit about that. Yeah. Same thing on the aviation side. So I had the aviation department um, reporting to me as well. Okay. So you, you, I guess you built significant leadership experience into your 30s yeah. through military, through Arby's. Now, as the, the title of this podcast suggests, this is Dirt Talk. Yep. So where does the dirt come into your life? Yeah, you grew up and watching your, your father build stuff. Sure, I'm I'm sure there was some dirt in the in the military from time to time. Yes. Maybe I don't know if there was dirt in Arby's, but where where do we get to the dirt part of your story? Yeah, while I was at Arby's, I um got my MBA at Carolina and went to work for a boutique consulting company called FMI. A lot of contractors know them. Yeah. Uh and I had a great time with them. Um about three, four years was getting an offer to become partner in the firm. About the same time, my wife gave me the ultimatum that I was traveling too much. So um, I didn't feel like getting divorced at the time. Still don't. Fair enough. And, yeah. um, you know, a, a what, wise choice. What are the options, right? The options are stay at FMI, lose my wife, stay with my wife, and lose FMI or create something new. Um, so I went out on my own uh, 18 years ago to do construction leadership consulting in fairness you'd think that would be an easy choice hey i'm gonna choose my family over my career but i <laughs> it happens more than you think it would someone choosing their career over their family and going down that path until it's too late i've seen it personally yeah we all do and and it's almost like we get handcuffed or we talk ourselves into this either or option right uh, oh i can't run the business you know, I have to run the business, you know, as you and I were talking at lunch, these guys work in 78 hours because the business consumes them yeah. and they haven't figured out a way to make it better for them. And, and God, I love their work ethic and their role model, these contractors that we support, but you know, they're killing themselves along the way and, and work-life balance. And, you know, we're seeing it still. I mean, superintendents say they have about 50% of them say they have quality or, or a reasonable work-life balance. And that's research we did two years ago. So um, it's, uh, yeah, I made the choice. My wife was very supportive as many wives are. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Well, I could fail. Okay, well, we'll figure something out. So, you know, the love of a good woman, definitely a lot of help. Yeah, still working on that front. (laughs) You you got time. I didn't even get, I was 33 when I got married. So you got time. I got, yeah, I'm 26. You got plenty of time. I have seven years. (laughs) I had a trip to Tokyo and some other things in there. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I need to go to Tokyo. Um, can you, exp- what does FMI do? Because I know what it is, kind of. It's like, they're kind of there, but also I'm s- still sitting there scratching my head like, I don't even know what you guys do. Well, I don't, I'd rather not market some of my competition, but uh, they are management consultants of the construction industry, have been doing it for probably yeah. 70 years. Yeah. They're, they're very, uh, in, they're entrenched. They're well-known. You know, I had some philosophical differences about the way they went to market, but they they consult to the construction industry through through M and A, through marketing, through training, through productivity, through everything. Yeah, and I, I would argue. I mean, well, may, maybe you guys, but they're they're really good in like data and numbers these days. I feel like 
they do a lot of research. Uh, you know, I'm not that close to them these days to be able to say what they're good at or yeah, not good I, at. I don't know. Uh, you know, like many consulting firms, they, they have a lot of turnover. And, um, you know, I prefer, prefer to build a relationship with the client and be there forever. I have, I have met a lot of people that have worked there. Yeah. In the past tense. Yeah. Yeah. And you're one of them. So management consulting, leadership training, it's very, very, very common in other industries. I mean, there's, you know, McKinsey and mm. Bain and BCG and Deloitte and Accenture and the list goes on and on. These massive, massive, massive firms that all they do is consulting for very large businesses. And they, I'm sure they dabble in the construction space, but there's not a whole lot of that in the construction space. Not from a, an, an institutional perspective, like an FMI, there's a lot of one-offs like me. Like you. Um, which, uh, you know, the industry is fragmented and the people who support it are fragmented too, I would say. And like this podcast. Just some guys talking about dirt. We're, Go figure. We're a leading industry is. consultant. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. But we do, in fairness, we do get to hear a lot of different stuff. Yeah. And people do ask my opinion. I'm like, I don't Take it with a big grain of salt, but here it is. This is what I've seen. But, you know, and I, I feel the same way sometimes. It's, it, it, but you're there sitting with the executives talking about the challenges they're facing and they want to know what other people are facing. That's why peer groups are so popular, popular yeah. right? So they want to talk to folks like them and, and be able to share because it's very lonely at the top, as you all know. And that's, and, and, and I've noticed too, the nature of this industry really slows and eliminates sharing because it's so fragmented and then you're you're bidding against everybody all the time. So you're constantly you're constantly at each other's throats. That's how the business operates. You bid against, bid against, bid against. Yeah. So you're not going to share any kind of information whatsoever. So that creates a silo around every business. And sure there are peer groups, but even the peer groups, they're pretty low key at the same time. I mean, I'd like to think Build with Partners isn't. They do a lot of sharing, but it, it's amazing how how all of this information is just trapped in these silos and it never leaves those silos for decades. Yeah. And, and then you can take that to knowledge transfer within an organization, right? Yeah. That, you know, I have this superintendent who's been with me for 45 years and he's going to retire and he, when he, oh, there's, or this pre-construction guy, estimating guy. And how do we get that knowledge out of those, those professionals? And, you know, the formal term is we suck at that mm -hmm. and, and we have to get better at that as an industry and yeah, it's happening in pockets and the folks that are figuring it out are recognizing the profit. But, you know, your clients, my clients, uh, you know, they're, they're, on, they're, they're, they're in the minority, I guess. I would agree. I, and I'm sure a lot of the questions you're asked, are they probably pretty, it's, it's not, like a lot of this isn't rocket science. No, At least that's how I found it. It's not, it's not rocket surgery or anything yeah, like that. You rocket know? surgery. Yeah, exactly. The Benjamin Holmgren, one yeah, of our guys, yeah, that's one of his favorite yeah, terms. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, but it's it's hard, right? I mean, we're talking a hard industry, right? We we it's it it doesn't have the margins that it should have, right? Because no. we race to the bottom on the bid side. At least the the dirt guys have have equipment and they have to you know recover the cost of capital and all of that stuff. They make a little bit more money there, but um, we race to the bottom in the bid world and give it away. And think we're making money and you got guys that are really just have a subsistence lifestyle and it's, it's, um, 
there's a level of sophistication and a level of professionalism that continues to come into the industry. And, and I and remember, I grew up, you know, this is my family I'm talking about. So that this isn't a qualitative thing about the people, but you know, how, how do we really capture overhead? How do we really lead people? How do we maximize as opposed to how do we accept what we have? Cause that's just the way it is. I, I don't know. I think that's crap. I mean, I think there's ways to, to do it differently. Yeah. You know, I talk about project managers. Are you a witness or are you a victim? Right? No, you're a manager. Run this thing. Like, oh, I could have told you that was going to happen. Well, why didn't you tell me that was going to happen? <laughs> no, right? that, that never happens. Yeah. Never precisely. happened. I've, I've yeah. never seen that yeah, happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so as far as issues are concerned in the industry, what do you see? You travel a lot. What are those key problems that the industry is facing? Well, you know, my, my area of expertise is the labor side, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I own constructionleadership.com. I wrote the book construction leadership from A to Z, right? I mean, that's my world. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, kind of crazy. It's a people business. We're a self-performing industry and we suck at taking care of people. We're task oriented in your face not to the point of, you know, and maybe that's old school, but we're task oriented. We're not relationship builders. We're doers. Correct. You know, our personality profile in this industry is the same as in a guy running a farm, right? Leave me alone and let me, you know, plant corn, leave me alone and let me move dirt. Yeah. And that's wonderful if you're going to be one guy in one machine, but if you're going to be one guy in a hundred machines and 10 guys in a hundred machines, the, the, the mentality has to evolve. And it does. I mean, obviously there's a lot of great firms out there, but there's still a lot of folks stuck in an old model and the, and the world is changing. And, and more importantly, people coming into the world, you know, my 19 year old son is different than me when I was 19 and what, mm -hmm. what I will put up with or what he will put up with totally different. Correct. And your generation was different than your father's generation and the world had to adapt to you. It's, it's, this is nothing new. No. Uh, I, I think it's just happened a little faster because technology has, has evolved faster than it did for the pre previous generation. But I'm, I'm just confused as far as how quickly people can forget history because this is, this is just evolution. This is, this is what happens. It, it's happened for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's like some guy comes out with an automobile, like, that's a dumb idea. And then you quickly figure out like, oh, that's a good idea. shoot, that's a, actually, that's way cooler because it doesn't poop and smell and eat. Um, and that's where our industry's at is we've been doing the same things for a long time, it, very successfully. And the margins are razor thin, which is a huge problem. And you'd get along very well with Randy Blunt in that regard. He's a big believer in, this is, a, this is one of the fundamental problems, razor, mar razor thin margins. But at the same time, there's also a lot of people making a ton of money right now. There are, but it's all relative, right? What is it and what it could it be? And if I make mm -hmm. a little more, I can share it with my, I, I've never met a private owner who didn't want to share it. Yeah. Right. But they can't share it if they don't have it. Correct. But now we have this thing about, well, do I share the information? Because if, 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 you know, if my foreman knows what I'm making, he's going to want more. Uh, not necessarily. That's a negative view of people. Um, you know, there's a way to share this information. There's a way to communicate to, to help people feel valued, engaged, trusted, et cetera. And how do you do that? Uh, well, you, cr you, you got to recruit the right people first. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there's always a selection issue. Um, values, right? <laughs> but 
is there really a selection issue? Because <clears throat> a lot of these companies, I, I feel like a lot of the people working at these companies have just never been at a place that they've been cared for too. It's like, if you're a great firm, I get the selection issue. But if you're doing it the same way, you've always been doing it. Your view of people is very negative. Of course, of or, course or you're going to have a labor problem. Could be neutral. Let's just go there. Too. Yeah. Uh, like, I get, I get selection, but if you're a normal firm, wouldn't the better place be to start internally and say, hey, let's just start treating people better. And sure, we'd get our selection process figured out, but I feel like, like there's all these big construction companies, they think it's a recruiting problem. And it's, a lot of times it's not. Well, no, let's, let's just play with it. Let's just say there are 10, let's just say the market is $100 million and you have 10 firms doing $10 million okay. with 100 employees each. And every year, 10% of the employees leave. So every year that company enters the year with 90 employees, yeah. they all find 10 more, right? So there's not a recruiting issue. Yeah. But at the end of every year, they lose whatever the number is going to be, 10 yeah. to 20% of that employee. There's a retention issue. Recruiting. Correct. I, I can get people to come in the door. Correct. Retention issue. Yeah. Retention. And, and so I, I guess in your opinion, without interjecting mine, where does retention start? I think it starts with ownership and senior leadership treating their that and it cascades down. Um, well, if you really want to get theoretical, it's ownership or senior leadership articulating the vision of what they want this place to be. Because mm -hmm. you, if you don't have a clear picture of where you're going and what you want to have, then you know you'll have it'll be it'll be blurry, right? And, and you you won't, you won't know when you get there because you'll never get there. So clear vision, I hate to use that consultant buzzword, but clear vision and values. Mm -hmm. The values really matter and not generic. I love your values, by the way, because they're yours. What, you can look at a billion other websites and none of them are going to have those nine in that statement. Now, Correct. within that, there's integrity and some other word. You, know, you, can, you can read the themes underneath your values, but I hate going to contractor websites and seeing Integrity, customer service, safety. Yeah, I get it, but I also want to vomit because there's no character to that. Mm -hmm. Isn't the, the integrity is one of the most ironic values out there because integrity is adhering to a code of values. So to have integrity, you need to align with the value. So how and and may, call me ignorant. How the fuck is integrity a value? Because isn't integrity what you're like? If I okay, I agree with all these values. I uphold them every single day. I have integrity. Yeah, and and Hitler had integrity too, um, to 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 a vision. What right? do I know? Yeah, yeah, uh, you know. So, and we can get into again. It, it, I'd far less rather like debate. Was that a value or is that a mission or is that a vision? Let's just articulate who the hell we're going to be. Yeah. To go back to your initial question, and and then work towards that. So now, mm -hmm. when I have clarity of this is who we're going to be, right? Um, you know. Just to use some generic words, we're going to treat people with respect. We're going to create an environment where people want to come to work, et cetera, et cetera. What the hell does that look like? Oh, well, let's describe the behaviors that go with that. So what does respect look like? It says if somebody on your team calls you, you return the phone call within four hours. Right? I stipulate that. Okay. So now behaviorally, I know. Why does this matter? Because of diversity. And I don't mean diversity in, in the current hyper-political thing. Yeah. I just mean m more... Um, uh, 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 Ge geographical diversity. Yeah. People move yeah. south, moves east, moves west, west moves east, south moves north. No, that north moves south, right? That kind of a thing. Uh, age diversity, et cetera. So, to your point, my definition of integrity and your definition of integrity may differ. 
So then let's define that for us and then add some behaviors so that I know exactly what it looks like. So now Alex comes into the company and we say, hey, dude, here's, here's, we believe in integrity, um, but here's what it looks like for us, mm-hmm. right? And customer service, we believe in customer service. Here's what it looks like for us. When somebody comes in, you will greet them within 37 seconds. We've all been in the restaurant that has that code, right? Yeah. Yeah. So br- breaking it down behaviorally then transcends any diversity or any geographic or any any preconceived notions or any, hey, here's what I had in my last company. I respect what you bring. I want you to bring it, but here's how we're going to do it. Now, how do you bring that into it? That's how I think it theoretically in reality, how it moves on. Then you have to train people. After all and of that. After all of that. Yeah. And you have to train people. Now, say I'm a, a, I am have a $100 million company. I'm the owner of a $100 million company. How do I start doing that? Is it as easy as just sitting down and writing what we believe in as a business? It couldn't be that easy, could it? It could be, actually. No kidding. Yeah. How'd you do it? I just sat down and wrote down what I believed in. And the, the, the funny thing is, it's like you don't really, with values, you don't really pick them. Yeah. You, you kind of just look at, I mean, at least I went down a list of the way I did it. I read, I read a book called Uncontainable, um, written by Kip Tyndall of the Container Store. And he, the entire book is about their company values and why they're so important and mm-hmm. how they train their people miraculously according to their values. And they way outperform any other retailer in the United States, yeah. which is so curious. So I read that book. Okay, I understand the importance of this. And then I just, re- I have a list of quotes in my phone. What really resonates with me? And what do I think we believe in as a business? Oh, this one. Oh, this one. Oh, this one. And then from there, took them, made values out of them kind of put them in our business, tried them out. Okay. Yeah. This, these, these ones fit great. This one, not so much, but Hey, you know, we have a little bit of humor, for example. So what what we just did, we just changed out one of ours with our our rebranding. Let's lighten up. So it, we just changed it. I don't even know if you saw it because it doesn't quite, quite exist yet publicly, but that's a huge part of our business is, is we just kind of mess around. There's a lot of messing around Mm -hmm. and that's a, it's a key component of the company we need a little bit of this. We need this value. And, and I don't know. I, I just feel like people get overwhelmed. You just need to start somewhere, start well, iterating. I, I, you have keep it simple, right? I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, people, I have to do this right. You know, I, I got to get this right. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Yeah. Right. In other words, you're going to iterate it. You're gonna, you've already changed yours. And, you know, as you noted with so with many times, light and lighten up, what was it? Lighten it up. Or yeah, lighten, lighten up. up yeah. yeah. I mean, these are not the Ten Commandments no. etched in stone. And heck, if you saw the movie History of the World, there were 15 commandments. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they right? the first so, so they, you know, they, but people get so wrapped around this that, oh my God, this is going to be it forever. No, it can iterate. I'm 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 consulting to a group right now and 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 they're they're underperforming dramatically. Now, if you think where we are financially, where we are as an industry right now, underperforming financially means you suck. Yeah, because everybody's yeah. tonning it right now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. where does this mediocrity come from? Well, they. And here's the thing: they're doing all. What is it? They're doing all the right things. They're doing like they've got their values. They've got their standing to deliver meetings. They've got all the things you're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, there's no accountability to it. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's a failure of leadership at the senior level yeah. who articulated this is who we want to be, but then doesn't hold the people accountable to it. But it's also a failure at the team level to not hold each other accountable. So right now their values have no value. 
And I think they need to blow them up. So ideally, why why does a value matter to me as a laborer? I'm a laborer on a pipe crew. Why why do I give a shit about my company's values? How does that provide me value? You may not. Um, yeah. You probably won't. But in the ideal world. Yeah. Um, uh, be, well, the reason I won't, they, you may not is because I've never taken the time to explain it to you why. Right? Yes. So, hey, I saw them in the company office once. Though. Well, Welcome aboard. It was and, in my packet when I signed yes, up for yeah, my job. Yeah, yes. on, page, on page 38. Yeah. With the videos you made me watch in that room by myself. Yeah, made by Buildwit, those idiots. Well, those are good videos. Yeah, they I'm were. talking about the VHS tapes uh. that these people are having to watch still. Yeah. And um, as opposed to um, an onboard experience where I have somebody around, you know, on my hip, you know, for, for, for five hours a day, eight hours a day, going through different parts of things. So why does that, why does Aaron, the, the laborer, need to know or care about the values? Because in absence of the values, he doesn't have a way or he doesn't have a, he, he doesn't know the playbook. Right. So if I bring somebody onto the, onto a football team, I, I give them a playbook. Yeah. This is how we do things. And some of it is conceptual, right? Call it a value. And some of it is tactical. You put your right foot here, you put your left foot here and you hit that guy. Now on the next play, you're going to put your left foot here and your right here and you're going to hit that guy. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 it cascades down from senior leadership and whoever determine who the vision and values are defining that behaviorally and then taking it down to the training to do that. Um, does it all, all this take time? Yes, it absolutely does. But at some point it then enables because now people self-select into that organization. Organizations that are, have clarity on their values and have an engaged workforce because we've taken time to explain these things to, yes, the knucklehead who's 17 years old who now says, oh my God, this, my, my buddy's working down the street and he's a knucklehead too, but They've, this guy, actually, this person just took time to explain to me what success looks like here. And if I do X, Y, and Z, I may succeed here. Mm -hmm. Why does that matter? Because when I have that conversation with you as a human being, laborer, 17-year-old knucklehead, it says, I trust and respect you. Uh, but what if I, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. I, I know well, all this. Well, it's your show. You can do that. Yeah. It, <laughs> and this is common sense to me, but- well, I can't afford that. Uh, you know, my, 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 my margins are thin. I don't have time to onboard people. I'm missing deadlines. I, I, can't, I can't afford to train people. I don't have time to train people. I just need people working. Well, clearly you can afford uh, substandard financial performance. If you compare your financial performance to somebody else's, you'll see that you're lagging. So maybe that will change your perspective. And, and I wish contractors, and going back, this is all ties in with each other, it, going back to sharing information, some, some of these contractors don't even know that they're lacking in performance. Yeah, that's pathetic. Um, you know, and, and I, they don't need to be in a peer group. They could be in, you know, go to the CFMA, right? The Constructional Financial Management Association. They can yeah. go to the RMA, the, the Risk Management Association. They can go to their bank or their bonding company. Yeah. If their bank or their bonding company is not telling them where they stand, uh, well, they need a new bank and a bonding company, right? And I, I guess even if they know, if they, even if they knew where they stood, the industry average is so low. Mm. <laughs> so even if they're average, they suck when it comes to just industry in general. Yeah. And, and as we've noted earlier, the industry generally sucks in this because we race to the bottom, you know, mm. bidding against each other. And when we get that extra half percent or we say we're going to make it on the change order, it's like, 
you know, and and you and I are both blessed to to see people that are making quote best of class margins, not Good only money. margins but return on invested capital, like other financial metrics that suggest that this is a real business. And you know, unfortunately, and I say this with all love, we have people who like to build things, or in your case, you know, in the dirt world, move dirt and you know, and blow blow stuff up, and that's great. But if that's yeah. what you want to do, put a lathe in your garage. This is a business that there are certain metrics that determine whether you're doing well or not. And keeping the lights on is not a good metric. Well, and but let's explain the importance of generating a return on investment because with higher margins comes, it's, it's a virtuous cycle. If you have higher margins, you can invest more in your people and make your people happier and more efficient, which creates better margins. And with better margins, you can put a, it just goes around and around and around and around. It does. So, you know, your point a moment ago and here on investing in people, that doesn't mean throwing money at them. No. That means have, making sure they have the right information, tools, basically that's it, an environment to, to do what they need to do, right? Mm-hmm. So if my piece of equipment keeps breaking down because I just can't fix it anymore, right? I mean, you, you, you need to get rid of it and get a new one or rent a new one or whatever. And, and oh no, I can't afford to do that. Okay, then you're admitting that you're going to take whatever low utilization you have on that, right? Whereas if you had really run the numbers and see that like a new machine or a, a two-year machine that you get off the market, if you can find any of those these yeah, days, right? Good, good luck. Um, is going to give you higher utilization. And it may give your employee higher satisfaction. Here's what I know. And remember, my brother was a teamster, right? He he wanted to go to work. His, he was a union guy. He If he went to work, got on the train, went to work, showed up at 6.30 in the morning, uh, he got paid, right? And, and the general contractor was not ready for him. He got paid four-hour show-up time. That's great work. Sign me up if I can get it, right? I yeah. showed up, didn't do shit, and for, I got paid four hours. That gets demoralizing and frustrating. Same thing in our world. Guys come, they want to do work, they want to do good work, and the equipment breaks, I can't invest. So when we talk about investing in people and training people, people hear training and they think classroom, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and we got to shut down Heck, we've got laptop simulators these days. I'm not even talking about the full motion simulators, right? We've got laptops where you can put two joysticks on a table like we're sitting at right now and begin to teach basic operators the skills. Well, not even it, it, it gets even simpler. You don't even have to invest anything in it. You can do you can do training at your your morning meeting, for example. Yes. So you're already meeting and you can just even as a manager say, Hey guys, this is how we performed yesterday. Yeah. And, and, you know, here were, here were some of the, the problems. Here was the hangup. Hey, we didn't stage material properly. And so this is why it's, it's really important to maybe, hey, on these next few runs, let's think about where we're placing our material. Because I think if we place our material like this and maybe, or, or maybe even ask, hey, like, so to make this more efficient, where would you place the material? Yeah. You get the feedback. I, I think that's a great idea. You place the material and the next day. Hey, guys, look at these. The, the numbers are better yeah. because we were smarter. That's training. That's passing information down. That's that, that, and it takes not even five minutes, not a whole lot of vulnerable, like you're not exposing yourself at all. And if it took 20 minutes, it would be worth it. But again, you're not sharing the, the deepest, darkest financial secrets of the company. And look, if it's your name on the side of the truck and you don't want to share that, I accept that. Yeah. But you can still share production information mm-hmm. of, you know, units, ton, yards, whatever. So yeah, once again, training, we think classroom and shut it all down. 
But these micro learnings that we're doing now, and and you know, people are creating all this on on their phones, right? These micro learnings. I need to know how to do a cost report or how to enter time or whatever. But yeah, that is training. And this five or ten or fifteen. Heck, when we we're in the Marine Corps, everyone, everyone in my unit, uh, but most everybody had what's called a hip pocket class. It's like you have it ready to go. It's a fifteen minute class. And, you know, the classic hurry up and wait, right? So we're waiting for the helicopters to show up, waiting for the trucks to show up. Um, Alex, give that class you have in your hip, right? Um, In our world, it would be like, hey, we're waiting for the ready mix truck to show up. Not that that would ever happen. Never. But um, those trains always run on time. We're waiting for the mechanic to show (laughs) up. Not that the machine would ever break in the first place. No, no time. Of course, we had done preventative maintenance in the anyway, um, or done the employee walkarounds. Anyway, no, um, no, no. uh, So now, hey, we got 15 minutes of downtime. Alex, give us that class on how to do a good walkaround or something like that. So you're taking this huge topic called training. And now you've broken it down into skills and competencies and behaviors. So um, how do you eat an elephant, right? One, one bite at a time, right? We oh, talked about that oh, on an earlier podcast oh today. Oh. See, so we, today. We are endorsing elephant eating. I did. But in, in proper measure. Oh, for sure. I did. I first brought it up as eating a giant piece of cheese. Oh. Yeah. He said eating cheese one bite at a time. I'm like, no, it's There's, eating an elephant. You're not. You're from Wisconsin. I would expect that. You're from Ohio. Man. I'm from Ohio, man. Yeah. Um, no, there was like an episode of West Wing or something where they're talking about like during the founding fathers, there was like a giant piece of cheese. They didn't know what to do with it. And they brought in the whole like town and the village ate the entire piece of cheese. And so I said, you know, I eat a giant piece of cheese one bite at a time. You know, I binged the West Wing that last summer during COVID because mm-hmm. I always loved it and it was good to see it again. Yeah. I don't remember the cheese. It's a, it was definitely a Josh Lyman line. That's okay. all I know. All right, we'll let it go. I'm going to, I'm going to reel us back in here Smart. before I lose my train of thought with, with, okay, Hey, you have 15 minutes. You can also, you can also involve your crew. It doesn't have to be the foreman teaching all this stuff. You can go to one of the senior guys. Hey, Jeff, can you show us how to walk around your machine? Right. Maybe they're the excavator operator. How would you do a walk around? Now they're more engaged. Now they're excited. Now they feel appreciated. The best safety meetings I have seen in my life are the safety meetings in which the most people are involved in them. The worst ones, the most unengaged ones are when it's just one guy talking to the group. Okay, everybody does that. I don't really care. No one's all that engaged. Sure, I'm sure there's I'm painting with a broad brush. Just sign here to say that you did so, it. Yeah, sign yeah. here so so the lawyers are happy. But right. but the the ones where hey, you know, everybody can can let's let's talk about something that that happened yesterday. What are your guys' thoughts? Or hey, we're looking out for hazards. What are, what are some different hazards? Let's go around the circle and let's just discuss what the hazards are out here today. Or even with training, like in Nashville, Tennessee, like we are today, there's a lot of rain days. Yeah, exactly. Guys don't like sitting around waiting on rain and, and they want to go to work. Like you said, what if you take them out on a rain day and give them some training? Somebody you're going to meet God here eventually, I think they're called Hoopa Grading out of Charlotte. They, I've seen their, seen their work. They have a new training center, right? With simulators and their, their line is if it's raining, we're training. Right. And, and here's the thing people go back to, is it worth it? Right. They're a great place to work. They're a top place to work. Um, and we come back to this recruiting and retention issue. When you begin to get your story out there 
Um, and oh, by the way, the best place to find new employees is through referrals, right? Hey, I like here, Alex, why don't you come over? Yeah. People don't exactly line up at the door, but people kind of line up at the door, right? So what's the payoff to all of this? Well, now we start attracting the higher quality people, people who want to be here. Your point about, um, you know, hey, walk us around this equipment. The guy's already an expert on it, right? So we're asking him to do something that he knows and that he's comfortable with. Right? So we're not asking him to give a class on differential equations. We're not asking the superintendent to talk about something he's not familiar with. But oh. I think we should give him a heads up, like, hey, next rain day, you're up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, but but again, you see, this is all these are micro efforts that after that over time have a huge payoff. So why don't we do it? Never saw it done before, never had it role model for me. Why do I have to do that? Well, yeah, okay, we didn't have to do that 20, 30 years ago. I'm sorry that wasn't done for you 20, 30 years ago, but that's the world we live in today. I, I, I see a lot of that because they came up with the school of hard knocks. Yeah. They think the next generation has to as well. And and sure, there there is merit to, in, in the value of getting the young kid with a shovel in his hand, putting them at the, in the ditch and, and letting them have at it. Absolutely. I, I did that and I, I'd recommend that for anybody. However, they they also learn differently and smart people recognize that, hey, just because I learned this way doesn't mean this generation will learn effectively that way either. And they're putting up with less shit, right? I mean- There's my, more options. There, A uh, lot of options. Web designer from my parents' basement, something, you know, whatever. I, and and yeah. I'm, you know, I mean- That's Alex. Yeah. I, and then I was like, I want to be on a podcast <laughs> yes, instead. Yes, here we are. And here you are. The, the Dirt Talk podcast, <laughs> yep. which I think is the industry-leading podcast. On you know, dirt. that's what they say. Yeah. Number number yeah, one they, podcast yeah, in the dirt, dirt world. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it, you know, we have, we have guys running companies, love them, millionaires in their 50s, 60s, 70s. They've done incredible things, but they grew up playing baseball and we're in an MMA world. And they have no idea how to play the game. Yeah. yeah. And they're getting their ass kicked. And they, yeah. they can't leave, right? There's succession issues because because that same hard charger isn't just right behind them. Not to say there aren't engaged people who want to do great things, but maybe they need a little more. And before we go any further, I never said coddle anybody. I never said lower the standard. The standard no. is the standard, but we got to work differently to get people to the standard. And and even even the military has accepted this. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, you work with the SEALs. I'm sure you've seen some incredible things, but uh, I know my my world's kind of the Marines and and their infantry. After boot camp, you go to infantry school, you learn how to be a grunt and they have totally revamped that experience. Yeah. You know, it used to be a lot of yelling and those kinds of things. And, you know, I wrote a book called No Yelling, <laughs> but um, this is, um, it's, it's, this is going to sound weird. It's an empowered experience, right? Where they're empowering the Marine to make decisions and say, hey, you need to be there by whenever, figure it out, right? And uh, it's what they're learning from a retention perspective on these on these youngsters, who, by the way, are the exact same labor pool the contractor's looking for, right? Mm -hmm. This high school graduate who we'd love to get forever. Um, the, the learning retention is higher in this, not that there's no stress, but a different stress, different educational environment. Absolutely. The learning and retention is is higher and performance is higher. Yes. And and so that's and and, and that's an important thing. It, it's not we're just getting them to a, a, a the same level. We're actually creating higher performing individuals that makes us more efficient, more profitable. Like one of one of kind of one of the root causes of all this is 
I just still feel like so many companies have such a negative understanding of humans. And it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like if I view everybody as lazy and and greedy and and they're just out to take advantage of my business, you're gonna amazingly enough get taken advantage. And it and it's it, it's like it, it's kind of frustrating for me because I want to tell the executives like, hey, these people aren't just Neanderthals, like they're humans. And if you were to just believe in them, train them, trust them, they would do remarkable things for you. But instead, you're just going to sit here and basically say all they want is $1 an hour extra. And that's the only thing that motivates them because, because they don't have a degree or because they're not an executive. or It's, it's super... Conf- it, and it's not to call anyone out, but it's very frustrating for me because it's like, this is 100% your fault. And like the way you view people is why you're in trouble right now. Yeah, 50 to 70% of a culture of a work group can be directly attributed to the leader of that work group. So whether that's a foreman with five guys or a president with 500 guys, if you don't like what you see, you need to look in the mirror, no matter yeah. what level you're at. And um, and what happens is we begin to manage stereotypes instead of lead people. So if I think millennials are lazy because I've bought into that crap and I hire a millennial and in week two, he comes in late one day. There's your self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Millennials are lazy. Therefore, I'm going to treat him like crap. I'm not going to engage him because he's just going to leave anyway. Correct. Well, yeah, because you're treating him like crap. Yeah. Right? So it has absolutely the self-fulfilling prophecy. So where do you, where do you stop the downward spiral? Mm-hmm. How do you stop the downward spiral? Well, awareness, right? Something to say, this is insane. And there are people who are able to do that in any insane world, whether they're in an addiction thing or a codependence thing or my profit suck thing. You got to stop the insanity. Mm-hmm. Leaders are about change for better results. You got to have self-awareness to do that. You got to have data to be able to do that. You know, I've written books on leadership, but you need data to make business decisions. And even prior to that, you need to set your ego aside. And that's... <laughs> This, this industry, because it's that macho, big, tough guy world, there are big egos. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the root cause of a lot of these issues too, is there's big egos and people want to be the man, which leads to a lot of these issues. Yeah. There's, I, you know, I don't know if there's as much of that as we think. Um, there's, and, and there's a this lot This is where it. I'm going to get into oh. GCs Uh-oh. because- <laughs> You got in trouble on that. We don't want to go back there, do we? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Corporate, there's ego. Purebred- Civil guys that started from the bottom are at the top. Very, very, very humble. However, some of those guys are such good workers and now they're running a company with their name on the side of the truck. They've never learned to ask for help or never learned to, um, they're, they're humble, yeah. but they still haven't asked for help. To, and and to that's a good point. It, you know? yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, so you, 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 know, you bring humility and um, we talked earlier about the SEALs and, and, there's a whole new body of research. Uh, it's a book called The H Factor on honesty and humility and leadership that we now begin to know that that in the 21st century is one of the differentiators in best of class companies, honesty and humility. That sounds so lame. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. So soft. Yeah. Yeah. Soft. That's it. Yeah. Well, and that's not manly and that's not dirt. Mm-hmm. No. Right? Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're just trying to be the big tough guy, but like it's so counterintuitive to be that phen- phenomenal leader 
And you, yeah, you need humility and you need honesty to build that trust with those around you. And that, like we talked about this last week is, you know, my generation, one of the most important things to us is information because information is so accessible these days. And we're used to just having all sorts of information at any one point in time. So if someone is withholding information from us, we don't trust that individual. So you go back to your example earlier of the crew and, and you say, hey, how can, you know, hey, yesterday we did 50 tons and we should have done 60 tons. Now I'm sharing information to somebody who has used, is used to getting it on their phone, right? So, Correct. oh, maybe I could use a Twitter or a Yammer or a Yelp or a um, Slack or some other internal communications platform to get that information directly to that laborer that says, we made 50 tons yesterday instead of 60 and we should have done 50. Oh, wow, that's a little different. Yeah, but no, but, that, it, but it's happening. That laborer is too stupid. <laughs> yes. That's the mentality. It's nuts. The other thing that surprises me so much about that attitude is like Aaron, you were saying the like, we actually, you both mentioned the, you know, the millennials are lazy or whatever that is. That's not exactly a good way to like attract new people to you. No, I don't want to go. Well, it's a stereotype, like right? Yeah. And, and, and I'm not going to gain new friends by saying people don't want to be my friend because they're stupid. It's yeah. like, yeah, well, no one's going to be my friend now. <laughs> like this just doesn't make sense. So you lead people. You lead. It's it, what's the? It's the what do they call it? The five percent solution, right? That we put. So I run a factory. People come to work on time. Hundred people come in and work on time, but all of a sudden I have people come and work late. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? Oh, I'm going to put in a time clock. Right. So people used to come in early to get their whole area set up. They'd come in a half hour early. They'd chat. Now uh, I'd only pay them. And so now what time do they show up? As soon as they punch the clock at top of the hour. Right. So I understand why we manage time for legalities, et cetera, but conceptually here. So what happened is I put a system in place to manage the 5% of people who never came in on time. And I just pissed off 95% of my people who had been coming in early. Right, because they just loved it. Because now, when I make them punch in, I say I don't trust you. And now, all you point. get out of that is a feeling of more control. But who does that serve other than yourself? And you get compliance from the yeah, individual. Compliance. You don't get performance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I do the bare minimum because I like my paycheck. Sure. But I'm not gonna. We're not gonna excel when we do that. And uh, so, how? Let's 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 switch to more more positive note. Because as much as I love bashing corporate construction, which is, <laughs> it's a true passion of mine and has gotten me in more trouble than I can remember. Um, what are the companies that you've seen that are the most profitable that don't have, are there companies out there that do not have a retention and recruiting problem right now in the construction industry? Yeah, absolutely. Every, no shit. <laughs> every year. Yeah. You might've seen one or two. Was that, was that a setup on that question? That um, was good. We like didn't, a softball we didn't talk about this beforehand, yeah. but a uh, good question. You know, if you just look at kind of out, out there data, not even the stuff I've come up with, but the Great Place to Work Institute, every business journal has the top companies to work for in their markets, right? Every year, there's about 150 contractors, because we track them and we interview them, uh, that have over 100 people that yeah. make those lists. Yeah, There's many more under 100 people, but I believe the force of one personality can kind of keep that keeping on. Uh, so you look at Goodfellow Brothers out there on the West Coast. Those yeah. guys, they're recently recognized as a great place to work. They Hoopa were. in Charlotte, top company to work for. Yeah. Right? So these are folks. So the, And, and the, why is this important? Because it's data, right? It, it, rather than for the, for the folks that are out there sitting going, yeah, 
Aaron and Wally. You guys are cute, but you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Mm. You haven't been out here in the real world. First of all, we have been. But hey, here are some examples. Here's 150 examples of contractors. Now, those aren't all dirt guys, but you get the point, right? There's a lot of dirt guys in there uh, that have created these great cultures that are characterized. We'll make it simple. Trust in my immediate supervisor, camaraderie with those whom I work, and um, pride in my organization. Hmm. Break it down. That's so. How do you talked about trust earlier, right? Yeah. Trust in my immediate supervisor, right? I, 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 he communicates with me. She gives me the information I have. Uh, she treats me like an adult. If I need to leave early to go to my kid's soccer game, they let me do that. Not for every game, but for the playoffs. Yeah. Right? I was just talking to a guy the other day. And um, he chose not to go to the state playoff game because he didn't think his boss was going to let him go. And his boss was like, oh my God, of course I was going to let you go. Where was the disconnect there? Yeah. Right? It's just a lack of communication. And that's the boss's failure there. Yes. Because the person they're leading is not comfortable enough to even talk to them about it. Right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, like I wouldn't buy a lot of that too. Those lists, I, ha- I have become a lot... Uh, I- very suspicious of some of those lists because I've I've recognized you can play with numbers to get on lists like that. But Goodfellow, for example, went out and visited them in California. Everybody I talked to loved that company. Yeah. Every like everybody was fired up. And so I wouldn't buy that if I hadn't gone out there. And and we don't even work with Goodfellow. I don't I have nothing to gain by saying this. I was remarkably impressed by how much those people enjoyed being at that business. Yeah, we do work with them and we do their advanced leadership program, which is a really cool program that we do. And I, I wish we could take credit for it, but they've been <laughs> around for a hundred years, yeah. right? I mean, we're just kind of helping them move it along. Uh, that's, a, that's a great culture yeah. uh, based on family, trust, respect, kind of all those touchy-feely words that in our society today, when trust, is an, trust in institutions is at an all-time low, we don't trust the clergy. We don't trust instit- government. We don't trust religion. We kind of trust the military. Uh, so what's the opportunity? The opportunity is in my four walls. To go back to our values conversation earlier, I can create a place of trust that people want to come to. And they will then, if they come to work because they want to be there, they're going to bust their ass because they want to be there. And now they're they're not miserable, so they're better coworkers. Now they're more productive, so the company is more successful. Now they're better spouses, better fathers, better wives, or better mothers, better people in the community. Yeah, that's a great concept. We, you know, if we're talking people in construction, and you tell me people are our most important asset, but why do we have one of the highest suicide rates? Right? We we have the highest suicide rate. I, I had Michelle Walker on. That's she talked about that. So you tell me that safety, people, priority, bullshit. We we are our brother's keeper. Yeah. You know, and and look, maybe if you're some massive multinational, it's different. But the majority of the folks we work with are family held, doing a couple of hundred million, right? They are family companies. Yeah. And you know, accidents happen. I hate to say, but they do happen. Suicides. No, she mm. said. She said suicides in the industry kill more people than accidents. See, uh, that's isn't that a a? It's actually it's it's like a, a sickening statistic. And what's even more sickening about it is suicide is never discussed in this industry. 
Finally, it's taboo. It, 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 but now we have the construction industry for we, we have the we have the, the alliance for that. So it's starting to get talked about. Correct. And um and look what Naomi Osaka did at the at the French Open and Matthew Wolf, the golfer who took four eight weeks off because his mental health they were suffering right. Yeah. You know, so we're starting to give some some credence. I think the, the military community has has some obviously a suicide issue there. Um, starting to bring some mental health issues into it, but. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if everybody could come to work 100% healthy and no, you know, we never had these conversations when I was 21 years old. Why do I have to have these conversations with you? I'm 61. I just sucked it up. Well, fine. Yeah. Then you're a better man than I am. Yeah, Do you know something? Yeah, yeah. If I want to create a workplace that has, you know, all these nice things that we've talked about. And oh, by the way, why? Because we make more money. I'm a capitalist. Let's be clear about this. Yeah. Um, when we create these great workplaces, higher production, higher retention, higher safety, uh, better home lives, et cetera. Um, we just, there's less friction. Life goes better. And I don't want to appear with all this overly critical. I am the industry's biggest fan, self-proclaimed. We self-proclaim a lot on we, this we podcast. Just self yeah, I, I'm just going to say we're, I'm, I'm the biggest fan. Can I be the second biggest fan? Sure. You're, you're, okay, that's okay. Be. Yeah, yeah, be. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love this industry. I see where the world is moving and I've seen enough of the industry. Yeah, I'm just a stupid kid, but I see enough of the industry to know the key problems and the solutions and what we need to do to get our industry to a very sustainable place going long-term. And it's just, it's frustrating for me to hear people complain about the same thing over and over and over again when there are, are simple solutions. And, and yeah, it takes work. Yeah, it does take money. Yeah, you're going to have to slow down. Yeah, you might have to make less for a short period of time to get your company moving in the right direction. Absolutely. But at the same time, you don't really have a choice long term. No, you don't. And if you, I mean, look at equipment. Equipment's a great analogy here. You know, the to you know, you go from these, you know, great operators. Now you got telematics and you got GPS and people fought that, but it's like, wow, there's actually a benefit to that. You know, yeah. this can be this this can be a good thing. Um, this human capital thing can be a good thing too. It can be and it is. It, this isn't theory, like this is played out at, at construction companies. But I was gonna say many other industries, there's a lot of companies that you could look at and be like, okay, that's actually worked out pretty well for them. And Company, a hundred-year-old company like a Goodfellow or a Hoopa—they've been around a while too. It's working out just fine for them. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is, um, they're they're proud to tell their story. Yeah, because they want to elevate the industry, right? They're uh, and I'm kind of the same way. I mean, my best competitor is a good competitor, right? Because it elevates the entire opinion of of leadership consulting and speaking. Um, and you know, the crappy dirt guy is the one that's bringing bad, you know, unsafe, right? Uh, yeah. And, and and you know, bidding poorly because he doesn't understand his overhead and his margins and overhead recovery and those kinds of things. That That's bad for the industry, right? I want good competitors. But the, the thing is, like, there are a lot of good companies and this industry makes the mistake of thinking we're competing with one another. We're, we're, we're not competing with... It's like the... It's like where the United States is at right now. Everybody... Everybody's taking different sides. It's like, whoa... Wait, what what flag is that up there? Oh, it's the American flag. Son of a bitch. We're on the same team here. What the hell? Like, what's going on? It, it, construction industry, why, why are we 
going at each other. Like we need to be working together here. We're 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 up against Amazon, Walmart, Uber. Like those are the sons of bitches that are screwing us right now. And yet we're we're fighting amongst ourselves, doing everybody a disservice. And you go somewhere with that. You know, you talk about Amazon, you know, a mega company. I don't know what kind of culture they got, right? You talk about Uber, who they're all independent contractors, right? So this is where our economy is going, right? To these mega soulless firms or to this gigification place. It reinforces that there's an opportunity to create a unity, a home, a place, a family, to use that word, in, in these construction organizations, in whatever business, in BuildWit, right? That's exactly what you guys are creating here. Yeah. A community of people who want to be here and do really cool shit. Well, there's people who want to move dirt, but they don't want to be treated like dirt while they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds very reasonable. And it, like I said, like our partners are a fantastic example of the future of the industry, the companies that do really care. And remarkably enough, they outperform the industry average by a substantial remarkable <laughs> it's, it's very curious yeah, yeah and then sure they're they're still struggling to find people here and there but but they perform extraordinarily well on on average compared to industry average yeah and it's kind of cool when you're talking to somebody like a competitor or just of one of them and i remember this years back i was talking to somebody who was a competitor of a great place to work who i was helping and it was at a trade show i think it might have been con expo years back and because I generally won't work with direct competitors. Um, and uh, and these guys like, and I mentioned something about, well, you know, that, that those guys are great. They're a great place to work. He goes, yeah, but, you know, they, that, they're they not making the money we're making. I'm like, oh, yes, they are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're actually three times what uh, you're making, you yeah. know? But either, either, look, I think either you're buying or you don't, right? You, it, w is the glass half full or half empty? And some people are learning that they can pour water in the glass and some people are just old school maybe is the word, negative is the word, remaining task focused. Oh my God, can we mention emotional intelligence? I mean, the majority of this industry is, if, if there was a negative scale, it'd be negative on empathy, right? Well, yeah. you can learn to have empathy. We've done several thousand EQ assessments on, on construction leaders and yeah, compared to the general population, you suck with empathy. But I can learn how to do better at that. But gen what I'm saying here is genetically, this industry doesn't have that DNA. No. So you have to create it mm -hmm. through setting the expectation and then training to it. I'm, I'm optimistic. I, the industry will get there. It's just a matter of, of who will get there, who will get it. And those that understand it sooner rather than later are going to be the ones that will gobble up market share long-term is my belief. Well, I think you're already seeing that. Uh, you are, you know, and I, you're, there's going to be more autonomous stuff and some of that stuff. I mean, technology is going to be part of the solution, but I, I, you see this all the time on all the websites and everything. It's like the industry standard for not dirt talk, but you know, for software to train software, isn't going to change your freaking problem. Yeah. Right. You got to lead people. This is until we get rid of the people, we still have a people problem. Or, or me as a 26 year old seeing a company bragging about the software they have. I'm like, wow. Wow. You guys have no, you have software. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh I definitely want to work yeah, for you because software, wow. Yeah. Those other guys, they just have uh, legal pads. Son of a bitch. Well, That's high tech. And on the marketing side, they've never failed to complete a job on time. 
No. No, you get paid no. to complete on time, the job. Yeah. Under budget. Yeah. Woo. That's, safely 100% yes. of the time. Yes. It's just like my car started when I bought it. That's yeah. supposed to yeah. do that. No, it's in, it, it, like, like I said, this is all coming from a very caring point of view because I, you're the same way. I'm sure you, you're one of the industry's biggest fans here. And, and where the industry's at, I, I don't blame or fault anybody for it because if I were in their position, I'd probably be doing a, something similar. If I had done the same thing 40 years and it worked really well for me for 40 damn years and I was brought up this way and this, hey, I'd be in the exact same spot. Um, but it is, and, and you have that interesting viewpoint too, it is interesting to see so many different companies doing so many different things, connecting the dots on, okay, so this group of companies over here outperforms everyone else. What are they doing differently? The common theme is everything you just talked about. Vision, values, caring for people, investing in people, training people. And it doesn't take a whole lot of money to do. There aren't that many good excuses as far as why you shouldn't do it, if any. No, you know, it's, again, what is your reason for being in business, right? Well, I, I believe it's to create a place where people can work yeah. and so that you can make some money. That's a generic you, but I think that's what yeah. you're doing, Aaron, right? I would love um, to make money one day. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> and um, so if this strategy and if this technique, and by the way, systems matter, equipment matters, right? We, 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 we don't need the best equipment. We don't need the best software. Yeah. But we need pretty damn good software and pretty yeah. damn good equipment. But people become the force, force, force multiplier. People are the best profit strategy we have because nothing builds itself. Right. So until we get to that fully autonomous world that in some movie 50 years from now or 100 years from now, I don't see any other way forward. Are the challenges great? Absolutely. Are, are there knuckleheads coming into the workforce? Absolutely. We were all knuckleheads once. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, th we talk about the generational thing. You know, th this isn't just about bad music. I mean, you know, this when you really get down to it, we're all motivated by almost the same things, mm -hmm. right? Now, the way, I'm, the way I would apply that is a little different, right? And that would get into maybe some situational leadership that if I got a 20-year employee, the way I interact with them is the different the way I'm going to interact with a two-year employee, but trust, respect, engagement, ask my opinion, those kinds of things um, are universal, strong word now, universal, universally proven to be true. Every culture, every language, every age. Now, does that mean it works on everybody all the time? No, because there's some knuckleheads out there. Right. But most of the time, most of the people respond to the things we're talking about. Yeah. And that is the payoff. And if you were to poll survey construction companies, ask them what their biggest advantage is, 99% of them would say are people. And so if that really is your biggest advantage, wouldn't investing in your people like software and equipment just make sense? Wouldn't you le wouldn't you create leverage on your greatest asset, right? Um, get leverage from that greatness. The problem is a lot of companies really don't know. And when they do a SWOT analysis, you know, that classic strategic, you know, SWOT of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. First of all, they get it wrong. You know, they don't, they mischaracterize things, but how can you really classify your strengths and weaknesses if you haven't looked outside your house in the last 25 years? Mm -hmm. Right. I say to my wife, honey, I'm charming. She goes, no, you're an asshole. Right? <laughs> well, I was charming. Yeah, until yeah. that. When right? I thought about um, it yeah, last time. You know, all my friends are charming. No, they're assholes too. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you get yeah. my point, right? You have to go out and 
benchmark. Um, and you can do that through literature. You can do it through consultants. You can do it through the bank, as we've talked about. But there's somebody else out there doing what you're doing, and they're kicking your ass, and you don't have any idea. And maybe that's fear. Maybe that's ignorance. Look, I, I like what I'm doing here. But it can be a little bit better for sure. And, and if not for you, for your people. Like, okay, maybe you make the same amount of money, but maybe your people have much better lives as a result. Because the machine doesn't break down and the job that took 12 hours could have been done in 10 hours. And That's by the win. way, normal people don't work 10-hour days. That's normal in this industry. At least. Right? It's, I 50% of field supervision has reasonable work-life balance. Now, we don't define reasonable. They define reasonable. But we know in our industry it's 10%. So if your primary production resource says, I don't have work-life balance, I think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right, and and we we're, we we just do, redoing that, that research this year. This was from two years ago, but we we're, we we're running the numbers right now. And fifty um, percent say I don't have work life balance. Uh, well, hang in there; it's going to get better. No, it's not. Oh well, COVID's going to slow us down. No, actually, COVID accelerated everything. Oof. And we're looking at the next two years as being one of the biggest boons we've seen ever. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh but hang in there, Alex. I'll, I'll get you on the next job. But well, this no, is where, but this is the big job. Yeah, this is where profitability and efficiency comes into play. You can still do the same amount of work if you're more thoughtful about it. It, it. There's a company here in town, Rosso. They, you know, a lot of their competitors typically work six days a week. They typically work five. Sure, there's a little back and forth there. They do very, 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 very well working five days a week. I know one group that said, "Do you want to work five tens or four twelves? That was a no-brainer. Yeah, but on some projects. Yeah, well, you, can, you can't yeah. always do it. Well, but yeah, they constrained. gave the projects the choice too. Yeah. Right. What would you want it to be? Like, oh, that's revolutionary. Look, mm-hmm. they're going to get the work done. We know we're going to get the work done. And if it rains on Wednesday, we're going to be here on Saturday. Yeah. But that self directed sense of control uh, at the project level is pretty big. Well, and that's why, again, me as a kid, I did not go to work for a very large contractor out of school that I didn't offer with because I knew they were just going to own my life. You know, 75 hours a week, guaranteed indefinitely. Sure. I'd make a bunch of money. Well, I wouldn't even make a whole lot of money. I'd be salary and with a decent salary out of school. Like, okay, cool. I'm just going to get overworked for the same yeah, amount divide of money. That by 75 hours. Yeah, that's yeah. what it really is. Yeah. Awesome. Money's not that great. No, <laughs> no. And, and, and I was, I just, I, I remember that was the, the entire reason why I made that decision. Great company, best company I'd ever worked for. And I just said, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to sell my life to this big company for an indefinite period of time. And I think more people coming into the workforce are feeling that way. Yeah. You know, different people have different risk tolerances and different stress tolerances and those kinds of things. But I think if we make a, a broad statement about the current pool of labor coming in, they want some more of that autonomy and self-directedness. Yeah. And, oh, that, that can't be done. We've got a pour at three in the morning. All the concrete trucks are going to be here. You got to be here. Okay, well then... On that day, we're all going to be here. Understandable. Right? But yeah. there's, you know, we use the phrase, it's an and statement. It's not either or, it's and. We can be this and that. But then it comes back to the vision, the values, the workplace, et cetera. But I don't want to buy into the and if it's always working against me. Well, if nothing else, I'm doing a lot of this stuff. We're doing a lot of this stuff and it's working out okay for us. Yeah. How's your growth rate been? It's been okay. Yeah. It's industry leading. It's it's leading the industry is what they say. 
from a percentage standpoint. <laughs> we need to we need to paint the picture of who they is. Like no, I, I want to like, leave that no, vague. No, 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 no. Like like make up our own focus group. Like, oh, yeah, just a fictional focus group that is referred to as they. Just avatars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's actually an acronym for some, something. Some guy named Jim. Yeah, he's they. They. Um. Well, this was pretty solid stuff. Maybe this helped someone. Hopefully, it did. You know, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Right. And and. You know, if somebody invested however long this is going to be, 35, 40 minutes of their life into listening. Well, we're, we're, we're well over that. We're, well, we're I'm, I'm figuring you're going, to edit, you're going to edit half all this stuff. No, out, there's, no there's no editing. But, we're going um, full bore. You, you know, you, we, we talk about education or application. And you guys, you know, and uh, I think Dan put up on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, you know, hey, whether it, and, and I commented, he says, what are your leadership models? And I'm like, I don't care what the model is. I don't even want John Wooden or Jocko Willink. Wally Adamchick, Aaron Witt, whatever it is, take yeah. something and apply it, right? It's about ROI. You wouldn't buy a machine. You wouldn't send somebody to World of uh, Concrete or Con Expo or whatever and not expect a return. So, you know, to the folks that listen, yeah, I'm grateful. I appreciate it. You know, call me, constructionleadership.com. I'll talk to you. Happy to have the conversation. But get something out of this. Yeah. Right? And get incrementally better because that those increments become significant over time. Well, and that's what that's what Jocko said last week was it just comes down to doing the work. Like I can give you everything and it's not going to do anything for you without putting in the work to make it happen. But it's not even it's some of this stuff is so simple, it's not even asking all that much of people. True. Very true. And you just have to start somewhere. Just start small. You don't have to go revolutionize your entire business overnight. Yeah, you know, go, I don't care what one it is. Go read a book on leadership, get a podcast on leadership and say, I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to email the author and ask that. And if they get back to you, great. If not, you go find another author, but find somebody whose stuff you like and just start chipping away at it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, Wally, how do people find you? Uh, constructionleadership.com. Like you said. Yep. And you're on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn, posting every day. Posting every day. Weekdays. <laughs> I post every day. Well, I, I... You write posts every day. I write posts every day. I post on Instagram and they just magically make themselves, make their way to LinkedIn. Is there a technology? Do you have people do that for Thanks, you? Lewis. We have yeah. software at our company. Yeah. You ever heard of it? Oh, yeah. no, that's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. get, where do I sign? It's oh. high, it's, build it is really high tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have we have email. We have Slack. Yeah, we have. <laughs> I can't even do it. It's such a stupid bit. I'm not going to do it. Um, well, like I said, appreciate you coming down here. This Thank is a great all. conversation. I'm fired up. Looking forward to it. Good. All right. And with that, that's another episode of Dirt Talk. That's Dirt Talk. Stay dirty, everybody. Stay dirty. Dirt Talk is hosted by Aaron Witt and produced by me, Alex Horton. To connect with other people who listen to this show, use and search for the hashtag BetterDirtWorld and join in on the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, reach out to dirttalk at buildwit.com. Stay dirty. Stay dirty.